WFIA welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here are your hosts, Anne and Peter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Friends in Art where visually impaired artists and audience members thrive. Tonight with us is actor George Oshodis and Peter Ochel, my steadfast co-host. So George, probably like to start, tell me a little bit about yourself and then uh, we'll start peppering in the questions and we'll just uh, go from there. Well, I was born in London of Greek Cypriot parents and left there before I was two years old and got to America and before my second birthday. Didn't know a word of English until I started school at the age of five. And uh, it's amazing how uh, language acquisition happens so seamlessly when you're a kid. But I don't remember learning English. I just, you know, suddenly I was a fluent speaker. And in fact, English has become my dominant language. So um, I lived in Astoria, Queens. A lot of Greeks live there still. At one time, it was reputed to have the largest Greek community outside of Athens. I don't know if that's still true. And started out going to regular school by the age, uh, by, by the time I got to junior high school, I was placed in a site conservation class because my vision had lessened to such a degree that I really needed to be in a situation that would support and uh, provide assistance with enlarging materials or having someone perhaps copy notes off the board and stuff like that for me. Right. And, and I was in the same situation in high school. They called it the site conservation class. Interesting. Now, what type of vision loss do you have? Is it RP? It is RP. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently it's retinitis pigmentosa inversa. So, uh, What does means- that mean? Well, it means that I lost my central vision as opposed to the peripheral vision, which would have um, resulted in my having tunnel vision. Oh, I understand. Yeah, very interesting. And of course, with the central, losing that, you lose depth perception, color perception. Yes. Every other kind of perception that you can think of. Yeah, it's interesting because I have I have macular degeneration and RP, so I have I have donuts in my <laughs> like I around the outside and the inside and the middle mm, that doesn't work so good anymore either. So I know where to go, and I have a cup of coffee that is dying to be <laughs> drunk with a donut. Okay, <laughs> all right. You mentioned school, and you mentioned the accommodations. Other than that, I mean, you know, when was the acting bug? active? I mean, was it when you got older? Well, how did that develop? Well, first of all, when I was a kid, I mean, I loved singing. That was like my favorite thing. I would turn the radio dial, find a song that I liked, and then I'd stand in front of it like I was in front of a stadium full of people and and <laughs> sing. I, In fact, I used to kind of like organize these little sh- showcases with the kids on my block just so that I can showcase myself singing. So that was my first love. And that, that is performance, and it's very, very akin to performing in a play because you have to think of who you're singing to. 
you have to think of what your uh, relationship is to whoever it is that that's in your mind that you're singing to. You're telling a story. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Well, with most good songs, there kind of is. So when I was about 18 years old, I learned that the Lighthouse had not only a, a music school. Well, I, I learned that when I was 13 years old, but there was a, a the Lighthouse Players, which was a semi-professional theater company that was housed at the Lighthouse. I auditioned for them. That's what you had to do. You had to audition for them. And if you got in, then the director would cast you in what they thought was an appropriate role. It wasn't like you were auditioning for a specific role. You were auditioning to, to see whether your, your talent merited your being a part of that group. So that's when I first started learning about working on a stage and learning the uh, nomenclature involved, uh, such as downstage, upstage, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, well, it prepared you for, you know, if you wanted to continue pursuing, you know, those kinds of performance and, and creativity in your life, they prepared you for that so that you weren't... That's true, really. It really gave me the foundation that I needed um, That's that I carried with me throughout the rest of my performing <laughs> yeah. career. So do you still George, keep in touch with the Greek community? Have you ever done any of your performance in Greek or specifically to that part of your heritage? No, I have not. The, the one thing that I did do, though, I, I lived for a year in Cyprus, and I, um, I, I played keyboards, and I, I like to sing, so I hooked up with a band, and I would sing in Greek and in English. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> So was that, that easy was, to do or cha or cha like were you able to i mean flipping back and forth between the two was that challenging at first or did you it's just challenging it now it wasn't then because my parents were alive and my older relatives were alive and greek was very uh we spoke it all the time nowadays i have no one to speak to in greek and i went to cyprus back in october of this year of well of last year i guess and found myself stumbling all oh. over the place trying to express myself. Oh. George, I, I'm curious about something, and maybe I'm missing something. You you obviously were mainstreamed, it sounds like, through your high school yeah. years. Did you do any drama work while you were in high school? No. The only thing I did, I was part of the chorus, and mm. I think it was my senior year, they put on a musical. And I auditioned for it and squeezed my voice up into a tenor range because that's what they needed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that, that's did, the only did, performance. Did, did you get the part? I did. But it was, it was really, I was just like a, a local, you know, not, my character didn't have a name or anything. It was just one of the people. It was a, the musical was called By Hex and it took place in uh, the Amish country. Interesting. Yeah. So, so just one sort of question, because I'm always curious, because I was mainstreamed as well. Did you have to act as part of this role? Uh, how did that work? I mean, did you have to walk around stage? How, how did they? I, I did. And I had a good deal of peripheral vision at the time. The one area that was kind of um, uh, hard was with the stage lights shining in my eyes. I, I was hmm. supposed to cross over and link hands with a, a neighbor, you know, uh, in the town. 
And the responsibility of doing that fell into his hands because I could not aim myself correctly, <laughs> uh, being blinded by the light, so to speak. Yes. Blinded yeah. by the light. Yep. I've <laughs> definitely experienced that myself on stage. It's very disorienting and uh, trying to explain to people how it, it it's almost like it you have you can't move because your it's your body just shuts down its whole right yeah what what little vision you have is it's like whoa yeah I I wanted to mention too this is not that important but for junior high school I had to go outside of my neighborhood to get to a site conservation class but in high school. It was the it was the high school I would have gone to anyway. Okay. And so I had cousins and friends and lots of people that I knew that went there and that made made things how do I say? Uh it was a more natural situation. It just felt like I belonged there and uh, anyway. Hmm. Going back to making it feeling more natural, what didn't feel so natural in the other school? Well, I didn't know it. It was that in my neighborhood. It was, um, it wasn't terrible at, at all. I mean, I had the same difficulties in terms of getting around and finding classes that I did in high school as well. Right. But in, in high school, I would run into cousins. And in fact, it turned out that one of my cousins was my reader in one of, one of my history classes. His name was also George, by the way. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a familiarity of many things. Definitely. Yeah, it was to cool help. to be in in a school with friends. Yeah. And acquaintances. They're just yeah. nice. Community. Exactly. Yes, yes. So after high school, what happened to you next? Well, that's <laughs> what did you do I, next? Well, I, I studied piano technology is what I did next because State Commission for the Blind was not going to be sponsoring someone who wanted to go into theater and, and the performing mm. arts. So I, I did that. That also happened at the Lighthouse and uh, worked as a piano tuner for a while. I worked for Aeolian Piano Company and then I developed a private clientele. So did that for a while. And then ultimately everyone I met said to me, why aren't you in college? Why didn't you go to college? So 10 years after I graduated high school, I enrolled into a college, went to a community college, LaGuardia Community College. Yes. <laughs> and then from there, I um, transferred. I loved it. I absolutely don't know. I, you know, when I got there, I thought, oh, God, why didn't I come before? But I was afraid. I, it was very difficult as a partially sighted person to keep up with the reading and with with. Mm -hmm. RP, I could not see a whole word, at, you know, at a, at a glance. I had to like go scan letter by letter by letter, and it was tedious and tiring. Yes. So I didn't <clears throat> want to get into a situation where it would be that that same kind of demand on my eyes. So, but um, I, I went from LaGuardia Community College to Hunter and um, graduated summa cum laude. So. Great. Yeah. What, so how did your technology demands change over that period of time? And I asked this question because I have RP as well, and my vision shifted dramatically 
from the time I entered college to the time that I graduated. And let me tell you, it wasn't something that was very, it was difficult. Uh, it right. added a lot of extra everything to my education. So give me a little bit of what, what it was like for you. Well, first of all, in my situation, uh, it was quite the opposite. My loss of sight was so exceedingly gradual that it wasn't measurable from day to day or week to week or even month to month that I, how much I was losing. I just suddenly couldn't see something anymore. Mm. So, and, you know, we're talking, I graduated high school in 1965. So, you know, there wasn't technology uh, around that there is today. Neither was there when I went to college 10 years later. I mean, the tape recorder, you were... Right. Given a typewriter, not Smith Corona, I forget which ones they were, but anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Was so it electric that, at least? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I utilized the reader service at the Lighthouse okay. a lot. Now, yeah. The Lighthouse supported you a lot over the years. It did. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, I grew up, you know, in a family where blindness was not welcomed. I mean, it, it. not that I wasn't loved. It's just that, you know, they felt so bad and they didn't know what to do. And mm -hmm. there was like a, a bit of shame, I felt. For example, I when I started to use a cane at the age of 18, for me, it was the most liberating thing. And this, I, this is connects to the lighthouse because in the same way, being put into a situation where there are other people who were having the same challenges as I was having was so liberating. But I was very careful not to use the cane when I was my, in my immediate area of my home because I felt my, my parents would feel bad about that. And I didn't want to cause them any pain, but it was hard. So, yeah. But so when you said that the lighthouse was very supportive, it was. And, and I think one of the chief reasons for that was that because it immersed me into the company of other uh, blind folks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That was also part of my, I guess we should call it my re-education when I started using a cane. And part of it was, like you said, just being in the company of other people that were struggling with some of the same things I was really was liberating. So thank you for bringing that out. I think that's really a really important message. Um, I, just to add to that a bit, also, when I went to the Lighthouse, and, and indeed when I was in the site conservation classes as well, it was integrated. Um, I grew up in a very white neighborhood, and I'm very thankful for the fact that I was introduced to people who were black and brown and Hispanic, and it was great. It expanded my world. In, yeah. a, in a beautiful way. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious, George, I want to go back to your college experience. I know that your background, as far as the arts is concerned, is in drama. And so I'm sort of curious, when you were in college, uh, do, do your valedictorian work, did you do any drama work back then? Did you do anything that had a... I, I took a couple of drama classes, but my major was English language arts uh, with an intention. And actually, I, I started doing graduate work in English as a second language. Interesting. So, yeah. but going to those drama courses that you took, how influential were they? What did you, what did you learn from those courses as a, as a person who was going blind at the time? 
Well, unfortunately, I didn't learn much, not because the teachers weren't great, but these were not serious theater students that I was mixed in with. And there was the struggle of the immediacy of having a script in an accessible format. Ah, yeah, sure. You know, which Mm -hmm. was not the case. So I would have to memorize some lines. And they always cast cast me as Teresius, you know, the blind prophet. Oh. <laughs> yes. I was, I was looking oh, I love, at I love that character. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I was cast doing that too, come to think of it, but that's another story for another, another time. Okay, so in sort of thinking as you went through your drama stuff after graduating, uh, were those courses at all worthwhile to you or did you find them like completely useless? I, no, I didn't find them useless. I mean, I liked theater. It, it was, you know, I, there was always something to learn. It's just that they were, it was electives. They weren't mm-hmm. necessary for my major. And so my, the amount of uh, energy I had put into it and also the amount of energy that was required of me was not that much. So Got it. I, yeah, that makes, makes good sense. All right, Annie, thank you. Yeah. So when did theater become serious to you? So after I joined the Lighthouse Players, I mean, it was serious right from the start. I knew I wanted to be on that stage. I I was, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I was a natural. And I was told that many times. Because of working with different directors that were brought into the Lighthouse, I was then asked to do work outside of the Lighthouse. And so I, I went off and would just take every opportunity that was that came my way to to perform and i even did some con- consulting when someone was going to do um for example wait until dark do you know that uh, audrey hepburn yes um, uh right she's a blind character they wanted advice about how a blind person should behave and there's a scene where she dropped something on the floor and i said what I would do in that case is just gently move my foot around till I located it and then bend down and pick it up. Right. But that was not quite dramatic enough. I was going to say. <laughs> they wanted her to get on her hands and knees and do this windshield wiper <laughs> effect with her arms. So anyway, um, but soon thereafter, I uh, became involved with, it didn't even quite have a name at the time, but it turned out to be Theater by the Blind. That was mm. like around 1983. And um, I was a founding member and ultimately became a, uh, a co-artistic director um, up until 2008, maybe, I think. In that organization, uh, I was both on the administrative and the uh, performance side of it. Um, I learned a lot about theater. I did Shakespeare for the first time. I did some serious, serious classics, plus to the other end, more farcical things. So that was a great learning experience. The farcical things. uh, Give me some examples. Ooh, well... (laughs) There's not going to be anything that you really know because one of the things that the theater started doing was developing their own pieces. We had like a writer's workshop. You should have been there, Annie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I should have. (laughs) And so we would write these things and like 
that was uh we, we did a whole super blind thing where <laughs> <laughs> this, this guy could do anything and just like he would appear who are you i'm super blind <laughs> the, the cane would oh. like flail out. and it was that it was that kind of like almost a vaudevillian slapstick kind of stuff that i meant by farcical um but we did lots of comedies we did agatha christie and uh, oh, okay just a range really a, a good range I, I, in, yeah. in some ways the the most extraordinary and significant now it was all significant don't get me wrong but i had never worked on shakespeare before and it, it was such a treat such a learning experience to delve into that um elizabethan language and uh you know get it to make sense to myself and then yes you know interpret it and send yes. that message across the footlights as it were you know yes yeah. i uh, i did a um a, a tennyson poem recently and it huh? took me a whole day to just appreciate how it was presented and in the language the colloquialisms and and i had to i had to really work at it because it is nothing like the way we speak now <laughs> so um it, but it was fun and yeah i really enjoyed it and it really it really just the performance piece of it was really fun to do but it was really hard and i had to really apply myself did you it. memorize it or did you read it no i i um you know i i use all my audio prompting i have to learn how to do that I'll, i can teach you how to do that it was uh i, I mean i use braille but yeah it would be more fluid if i had something in my ear yeah yeah and it, and it and it also helps you to partially memorize things right like you know and it's there for prompting um that you can do it independently and all that so but it was but, it was it's fun well, by the by the way i just with regard to braille I, I must say, as an actor, that's the only medium that I ever want to use to learn a part. Mm -hmm. Not that recording myself and doing that is is out of the question. It's just that with with Braille, you really see how how the author or the playwright has phrased it, the punctuation that's used, yes. which is exceedingly important. I mean, I I don't want anyone else's interpretation of a line. I want to touch as directly as i can the writer's intent and then you know go from there so i i think that that that's what inspired me to really make progress with braille because i didn't learn braille till i was 18 or 19 which is late you know yes by a lot of but standards i think you also had the advantage of already being bilingual and, yeah. and in your mind already being that you know that that agile that i think you know i mean braille is a code not technically not a language but right. i think that you 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 probably took to it well i would imagine because you you know you had already had uh overcome that mental mm. obstacle with yeah, any um, barriers with language Greek. yeah 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 that's true yeah i love sure. braille I, yes. I, you, you've talked a lot about the lighthouse in their in their theater program, and it occurred to me that a lot of us don't really know how acting works there. I mean, so there are a bunch of blind folks who are acting, putting together a play. How does that work? I mean, how do you learn 
to walk across the stage? How do you deal with pacing? How do you deal with all those things that, uh, well, yeah, yeah, all that, all those kinds of questions that. Yeah, yeah. Give us an example of yeah. of what what it's like to actually. Um, That's a great question. Set everything and up for that. For myself, I mean, I had enough vision where I could see to walk across the stage. I can't any longer. But I remember seeing totally blind actors going on the stage early and just pacing uh, around, figuring out distances. Um, doing that sort of thing. But I'm going to jump from there to my experiences with Theater by the Blind, where we actually really developed a technique and some helpful ways of identifying where we were on stage. For one thing, if there were people who had enough vision that contrasts really mattered, uh, and I was in that category at one point, we would make sure that there was for example, if there was going to be a glass or a cup set on an end table or a coffee table or whatever, and that coffee table was a dark wood, we would have like a white doily that that ah. cup would be sitting on. And so, so that it, it wasn't, uh, you, you know, it was organically interwoven. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean. Yes, Incorporated yes. into the set so that it and it seemed natural but it was a high contrast yes uh, modification and i if i had to walk behind something for example what would help me is the piece of furniture that i was walking behind which was not seen by the audience would often have like uh dashes of white lines or something uh, to contrast and help me find my way another thing that we did was use runners yeah. From from a particular entrance that would wind up, say, right in front of the couch conveniently or something yeah. like that. Um, and hmm. the, the best thing that we, uh, the most secret thing that you would never know what was going on was using half round mold, which is uh, molding, I mean, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a half of a, a dowel. Yes. That's, that's, tacked down to the ground and then painted the same color as the stage. So you never, no one in the audience ever saw it. And um, that would be a great way to track your. Yes. Your, wow. That, that is, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, we did a lot of work. I think we were actually groundbreakers in, in that, in that regard. Did, did any other theater companies pick that up? I mean, did anybody come in for consulting uh, you mentioned some consulting before. No, no, not not on not not for that. I mean, I've talked about that with people. My friend Pamela Sabah, who is a, a great actor and writer and director as well, recently had the good fortune to be cast in Molly Sweeney. Do you know that play? I know of it. I don't. I don't. I haven't. Uh... Well, she's a blind woman who is convinced by her husband and father who are sighted and who know the best thing you know for her to mm -hmm. go through an operation to get her sight back and then she gets her sight back and loses her mind kind of that's a wow. capsulized uh, but anyway so i was a consultant for the theater that did that and uh you know i i did mention that if necessary you could do the this half round molding thing or Blah, blah, blah. But I said, you know, Pamela could speak for herself. She's really quite articulate. 
and not shy. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to go to some of your past projects and give a little bit of a change here. Is that okay? Yes, yes, whatever. Okay. So talk about Maggie's plan. I picked up a couple of things off IMBD. I mean, DB, sorry. Maggie's plan was one of those. Right. Uh, So I I think my, my purpose is, Kind of like a little bit of the actor actor studio here. <laughs> ask you, give you I a little, give me a little about these things that I'm going to ask you. And the first one is Maggie's plan. Okay, so I was called to, to audition. I went in on the spot. She told not she, but not Maggie. But I mean, you know, the casting director said, "Listen, you got it. Just you know, I'll I'll call you. I'll tell you when to come down." So it was shot outside in uh, wintertime there was like ice and snow on the ground and maggie who was played by greta gerwig who also uh, wrote the piece right was needed to be established as a a good deed doer <laughs> do you see where i'm going with this oh <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> <And> s- <laughs> she sees a, a blind character waiting to cross the street and she helps him across and we had dial. I was all mic'd up. I was all wired and everything. And so right. we, we had dialogue and we did this real, really nice conversation. And in the end, they, they did not use the, the, I'm in the movie in the beginning, uh, in the, um, credits when the credits, credits were rolling. Right. And you see me with, uh, Greta Gerwig, but you hear street, and city noises um, instead of the dialogue that we had. I was so disappointed. Aww. I mean, for me, I, it, it was like I wasn't in the film, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> for my blind friends too. Anyway, it was great working at uh, the show. Rebecca Miller, who is Arthur Miller's daughter, was the director. Oh, okay. And she's, she was so gracious. And I met Ethan Hawke and also mm-hmm. the lovely Julianne Moore who were also wonderfully humble and gracious and generous with their with their time with me. So Well, even though something ended up on the cutting room floor, it sounds like you had a great experience. Well, well I, I didn't quite <laughs> wind up on the... My voice did, but... <laughs> Your voice did. <laughs> oh, darn. I know. Um, okay, so let's see. What's next? I think it's Julian Donkey Boy, right? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> So, Julian Donkey Boy again. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So what? It, uh, so it was a film, a short it, film. It, it was a short film okay. by a very up and coming young, talented director named um, Harmon Harmony Corinne. And this one kind of scared the daylights out of me because there was no script. It, he wanted everything to be at libbed. Wow. And I, I I hate that. I mean, I, I, it scares me. I, I've done it, and apparently I did very well. But it was this crazy... I can't even tell you what the piece was about. It was so... <laughs> I don't want to say avant-garde, because I, I don't know what it was ahead of. You know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it uh, uh, presaged, you know? <laughs> it was unique to itself, I guess, it, it, right? It was, yeah. Yeah. And... He used this, um, oh God, I'm not going to remember this, but he used a particular discipline in theater called uh, <laughs> dogma something or other, 
where they stay away from using artificial lighting or bringing things into a set that normally are not there and all that sort of thing. So, and and so what are, is the purpose of that? Like, what's, I mean, there's got to be a goal to that particular method during filming. Is you it know to make things I, more, I don't know. I, I wish I knew more about that. I, I mean, I I'm think have to definitely, I think it was, <laughs> um, I think it, it was a visual thing. Yeah. A, a lot because they, they wore, some people wore glasses that had cameras on them. And so you could really do these weird, if you had, if you were the actor that was wearing the glasses and you were walking up to something, you could really get right into the face of someone and it, it, it that their image explodes on the screen. I don't, I, oh, wow. I, I don't yeah. quite get it, but it was a very, very yeah. visual thing. In, in fact, well, not about that at all, but keeping with the theme of everything being natural and nothing being forced. I was hired because he, he wanted a gay character in it. And the fact that I was gay made me a natural for it. And, you know, he didn't want a straight actor. Playing right. Gay. In terms of esoterics. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a religion, this thing, uh, this <laughs> style of, you know what I mean? It has yeah, yeah. Very strict kind of mm-hmm. guidelines and uh, that sort of thing. Like being a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not me <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness all right so let's see uh bringing in the sheaves tell us what oh, that was about that was a, a a really interesting little piece that i did for a student up a theater student up at columbia and oh, we went to new hampshire to to film it and i was this blind guy who uh, lived alone and was fantastic at chopping wood and splitting wood and doing all these things independently. Um, and he had he had an estranged son who came back with this kind of hoodlum kind of guy and wanted to take. Well, it's never stated what they wanted, right? Yeah, they, they, you know, but obviously I had something valuable that they were going to take, however, whatever it took for them to get it. And and, yeah, it's like it was a 10 minute film, a 10 minute short film. And I learned so much from that. I have not had as much work in front of a camera as I would like. And it's a very very different experience from working on a stage and projecting into the theater in front of the camera. I, the the actor kept saying, uh, you don't have to be that loud. Just, you know, tone it down, tone it down to the point where I thought, but I feel, I don't feel like I'm acting, but I listened to him and I did what he said. And when I saw the results of it, I thought, Oh my God, this is amazing. There was an intimacy, that kind of quietness because the camera and the microphone are like, you know, right on you. You know, you you don't you don't have to um, expand. Project, any, right? Yeah. yeah. It, so, um, so that was a great learning experience. Oh, that's very that's really cool because I I think about that as well. You know, when you have to be more intimate versus that projection, and when it benefits you and when it doesn't. I'm just learning that as I'm purely an amateur and oh, that's um, okay. I struggle with that. So that's very helpful. I, this is an example. I, 
I'm not an actor that can easily cry on stage. I know a lot of actors that can, and I, I can work myself up, but I, it's hard. It's, it's very hard. But working in front of the camera, though I didn't have to cry in that film, I felt that I could cry. Because, again, having something to do with the intimacy and the, there was a vulnerability that, that I could tap into that would allow that. Hmm. It's very, very interesting. Um... Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And uh, I'm going to go on to the, your mo I think this is your most recent project, The Imagination Storybook. Can I first tell you about my experience with Woody Allen? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I say that because it was such a, such an, a, a moment, such, I, I felt like I achieved something. And it came at a time when I had been written up in the Times I auditioned for Contact, the movie with Jodie Foster, you know. Yes. Um, um, Carl Sagan. Um, and just all these wonderful things were happening. And I get this call when, when I was in production with something that Theater by the Blind was doing. And uh, to, oh, this is Woody Allen's office. And we're wondering if you'd like to stop by. Woody Allen would like to meet you. And I'm thinking, well, gee do I want to stop by? I mean, <laughs> so, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't an audition. He just wanted to see me. He just wanted to meet me. And what was going through your head at the time? I was like, like what? I like, <laughs> what do I say? Is there a script? Nothing, nothing like that. And again, you know, I don't like it when there's not a script. <laughs> so I, I went to his, his studio or the office or whatever it is. And he came out and we talked for a while and, you know, we're just having a conversation. And I said to him, um, you know, by the way, I, I really enjoy watching your films because they're so dialogue driven. And he said, Oh yeah, thank you. And, you know, and so, <laughs> and I said, I don't know if you'll use me in the piece. And he said, well, I, yeah, I, th I think you'll be all right. But then that was it. I didn't hear anything for a week or so. And I thought, what the hell is going on here? I just, <laughs> it, the suspense was killing me. Oh, I bet. Anyway, he wound up <laughs> casting me in a movie called, and this is the movie where I wound up on the cutting room floor. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. So, <laughs> it was, um, Everybody Says I Love You. That was the movie with um, Drew Barrymore was in it. Goldie Hawn. Ellen Alda. Oh, yes. I, a, a bunch of people. I yeah. mean, it really was star-studded. And what he wanted me to do was walk in as a blind person with a troop of other blind people following me into this expensive, like, sort of Park Avenue apartment and knock over, like, a priceless uh, vase. And I thought, oh, my God, this uh, is going to put us <laughs> back, back another hundred years. Yes. <laughs> hundred, it would have been okay. A hundred, but this is like really, uh, you know, Oh my God. Uh, I and I do it. And I, I express, express my concern. They said, well, you know, you, you don't have to do it. And I thought, I'm not going to let go an opportunity to work with Woody Allen. And then somebody else will take it anyway. And plus I thought, well, Woody Allen always makes fun of his own, his own self. And he is very kind of comedic and funny. I mean, his stuff is really um, a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. If, if um, character, character, characteristic, 
Oh, I can't say the word now. Characteristic? Characteristic? No, that's not what I'm like. Caricaturistic. No, that's not the Caricature? word. Caricature? Caricature, thank you. <laughs> the great orator over here. <laughs> anyway, um, so I went, I went, I, I was picked up in the limousine. And after they picked me up, they picked up Drew Barrymore. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and it happened that my guide dog's name was Drew at the time. Oh. <laughs> so she gets into the limo and said, where's the dog? Where's the dog? And I said, there he is. And she said, oh, he's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And I said, by the way, his name is Drew. She said, no way. And I said, way. And she said, no way. And I said, way. And it, was, <laughs> it was great. So anyway, we, we get up and we're doing the scene. And it's not working. And, and Woody Allen is very kind of nervous and stiff about it. Um, mm. And he, so he addresses these other, the, the other blind people who had walked in after me and says, oh, well, you know, when you guys come in, just, you know, just don't stand there like statues, do it, it do it, whatever it is you people do. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You people. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. But w- through working with me and, you know, my joking around and just being uh, easy in his company, and the, the scene wasn't working. The, the, the vase wasn't going over as it should and blah, blah, blah. And at some point he came to me and said, George, I figured it out. You're going to be able to do this with your eyes shut. And I just smiled so much inside of me because he went from being this stiff kind of like uh, uh, feeling awkward around blind, blind people to be a, to to be to making jokes about blindness and I, I i just really thought that it was an accomplishment on my part and and everybody else's that was involved so that's why i wanted I, that's why i wanted to mention that scene that you know that experience that must have been a very interesting um compartment of time <laughs> must have felt very uh sur- surreal <laughs> it did and it was two days work um wow for which i got paid very handsomely but you know what can i say <laughs> and so and, but that scene didn't make it did not know? make it no he said that they they told me that the uh the, the movie was too big that they had to cut things out and Tracy Altman, who is in it also, also got cut. So I, I felt like I was an insult. All right. So there you go. There's some compensation there. Oh, wow. Okay. So the most recent thing that I've done was for a new organization called Imagination Video Books. And this guy named Richard uh, Ryman, I think that's his name called me i actually emailed me and said we'd like for you to be the voice of the wizard of oz no audition nothing it just but then it turns out that i was recommended to him by uh joel snyder who is uh, apparently yes. a friend of his so okay <clears throat> what's the update on that i uh, listened to your little plug on youtube right has it been released yet is there no. they were okay. having trouble I don't remember her name, but the actor that is was playing Dorothy was cast, and she is blind. And everybody uh, in in the in this uh, version of the Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which by the way is based on Frank L. Baum's Wonderful Wizard of Oz, that book specifically. Oh, I so, see. So it's 
Of course, similar. I mean, there's Dorothy right. and, and the Scarecrow and the Lion and the Tin Men and all that. But there are major differences. And there are a lot of places that they go to on Oz that, that the movie does not cover. One of the interesting differences is, and one of the fun parts for me as, a, as an actor was, in the book, when they finally get to the Emerald City and they want to have audience with the, the wizard, he sees them one at a time, not as a group. And for each one of them, he's something different. He's a big head sitting on the throne for Dorothy. Right. He's, uh, he's a lovely lady for, for the scarecrow. Then uh, he's a, the lovely, the, he's a uh, five-headed, no, five-eyed, five-legged monster for the Tin Man and a ball of fire. For, um, for the lion? Yeah. And so I uh, I had to do different voices for each one of those personages. So that was uh, that was really exciting and fun. So oh, getting okay. back to getting back to so this actress whose name I don't remember was cast in as Dorothy. The, yeah, she was cast as Dorothy, right. but she she was also cast in The Light Between Us. Do you know that that book that Yes, you had mentioned that when I talked to you originally yeah. about coming on Art Parlor and so I guess she hasn't wrapped up that they were they were having Project, trouble yeah. nailing her down because she's mm. like all over the place um, <laughs> filming. Okay. So, but, well. but but they told me that in February. I mean that that they it, it probably so we're here now. We are in February. So yes. it's, shortly, hopefully, it'll be out. Okay. Well, we are, we are at the hour. That went quick. Yeah. That wow. was great. Yeah, it was wonderful. So, how can people get in touch with you? Feel free to email me at blackgar7 at gmail.com. And it's B-L-A-K-G-A-R-7 at gmail.com. B-L-A-K-G-A-R-7 at gmail.com. Thanks. And can I say it was a pleasure? Um, of course being you interviewed can. by no, you guys. You <laughs> and, and uh, you know, um, I am a friend in the arts. So. I know that. I have a question that I'm sort of curious about. So you got all these gigs and did a lot of really interesting stuff. How did you get those gigs? I mean, how did you sort of get known? How did you sort of market yourself or did you market yourself? How did you well, get these gigs? Well, anytime they wanted someone blind, right? There was, you know, small pickings. I, you know, I was like, for a long time, I was the only blind actor around. There's more now, but I, yeah. people, I, people who had worked with me would talk to other people who, and I would Word get of calls. Yeah. yeah. But most, most of my theater work was with the, the company that I was also the artistic director of. So most of the roles I got were in-house. <laughs> Yeah, just because I was there. Well, so Peter, I'm glad you asked that question because it's one question that I forgot to ask that was on my list was, what would be your advice to an up and coming visually impaired theater actor? I mean, well, how, what would you say? I would important? say that the the industry is opening up, and they're they. Uh, I've been getting. I've auditioned a lot, and I've actually auditioned virtually a lot um, of mm. late. Um, so, and you know. Uh, I, just don't lose faith, get training, tr take any kind of acting experience that you can get because everything is a learning experience. I once heard Alec Baldwin in the actor's studio say, you know, like 
everyone wants to be on film, but film is like, hurry up and wait. I mean, you, you're there for a two minute <laughs> scene. It could take two days, you know? Yeah. He said, so just take any, any job that allows you to get on stage and be a character for, even if it's a walk on, you know, and you walk on and off, just do it. And don't at Joseph Campbell, who I, uh, I like a lot says, follow your heart. And that's my advice. Follow your heart. Thanks, George. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. And, and, Thanks, and if you're the woodman, you don't have a heart, right? So then you have to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Media. It airs every Saturday beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media 1. To listen and for a full schedule, go to acbmedia.org slash one. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org, and please feel free to check out our website, www.friendsinart.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month.